There's something about a good conversation that brings people together. From sustainability to morality, public health to politics, we all benefit from learning more about everything that is important to our shared community. So I've created a space for exactly that. Here, I gather some of our brightest minds, up-and-comers, and members of many different communities to talk about what's important to them, to explore the nuances in their perspectives, and ultimately, to learn how what they're doing will help bring people together and change our world for the better. This is Bottomless Coffee with Jerome. Thank you for joining us. Hello and welcome to Bottomless Coffee. My name is Jerome Evans and on this show, we have conversations with people who are having a positive impact on the world around them. And we have those conversations over coffee or tea or hot water. Honestly, as long as the conversation is good, they can drink whatever they want. Today, we're talking with attorney Zalor Stout, founder of Zalor Stout and Associates, an award-winning author of Our Gay History in 50 States. Hey, Zalor, thank you so much for being here. No, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I think uh, the very first obvious question that a lot of our audience is gonna be wondering is, why is gay history important? Well, I think all of our history is important, but um, you know, gay history is important for LGBT folks because this is actually something that I learned about um, when I was fighting to, to get black history taught in schools when I was younger. Oh. And it's that you know, even though black history really isn't something that's taught in schools, we have privileged to be able to learn about black history from our parents and our family. Yeah. Most LGBT kids aren't raised in LGBT homes, so where is it they're gonna learn about LGBT history? Yeah. And so everybody has to have you know, folks to look up to, um, know that they can achieve anything that they want to and can, and for those that aren't members of the LGBT community to know that there have been significant contributions made by people that aren't like them. That's um, a really salient point regarding what you're learning in schools. Mm -hmm. uh, because when I was, let me get the book out. <laughs> when I was uh, going through the book, mm -hmm. I was really inspired. And I felt empowered by what all of these wonderful uh, members of the LGBTQ community, before it was even really the community that we have now, True. right? True. What they were doing in the face of what's really oppression. Mm -hmm. um, and what does it mean, I wonder, to you for a culture when the history of a culture is not taught in school? Uh, well, you made reference to yeah. fighting to teach black history in schools. What was that like and how is that similar to what you were doing with this book? Uh, well, it, it was high school, so I was 16, 17 years oh old. Oh my gosh. Yeah, a long time ago. I've been, in, I've been at yeah. this for a while. Um, I grew up in Orange County and um, you know, I was just raised as a kid. Even though it was not a very diverse community, it actually had a lot of different kinds of people that was there. Um, but I was just raised as a kid and it wasn't, I didn't realize my blackness until I moved to Ventura. Mm. And there were skinheads in the school. And I was like, oh, oh, I'd seen them in the movies and on TV, but there's skinheads like in real life right wow. there at my high school. And I came to realize that they knew more about my history than I did. Hmm. 
and 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 more more history than most of the black students there. So I, my elementary, junior high school, three to four black kids. By the time I went to Ventura, there was like twenty five of us. So that was like the critical mass. Okay. Okay. Sure. <laughs> and so I was like, well, let's 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 dig into this. So I started a black student union so that we could learn about our history, and mm. anybody that wanted to learn our history could learn it as well. We did, uh, you know. Um, Black History Month events and fundraise yeah. so that we could buy Black History books to go into the library that weren't there before. And of course, there ended up being some backlash. And folks said, we're like, oh, oh, if you can have a Black Student Union, we should be able to have an Aryan Student Union. Oh, so that conversation yes. has been happening for a long oh, time. yes, <laughs> since 91, at least from my experience. So who knew that fast forward that I'd be working on and fighting for including LGBT history? Right. Yeah. So for the same reasons, to be able to have some sense of self, to be able to know that you can um, connect with folks that have struggled the same way that you struggled for mm. this whole time and, and have found a way to survive and thrive. So this is a book of history. Do you consider yourself to be a historian now? Uh, and then, even when you were 16, were you, were you interested in history, or was it because it was so personal to you at that time mm -hmm. that you were like, oh, this is a problem that needs to be addressed and I need right. to organize around? No, it's a great question. Um, I think it's weird when people call me a historian. I mean, you wrote a history book, so. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. But there's some of these titles that get, get used to, like, you're an attorney. It's like, yes, it's been... It's been it's been over ten years, so I'm I'm used to that one now. But the historian is still uh, it's still new to me. But you know, when when I was in high school, it it was really you know just trying to be able to find a way to connect. Hmm. Um, and and you know, I remember digging through the Harlem Renaissance and all that kind of stuff, and really having to dig really hard, reading into the poetry, yeah. Langston Hughes and stuff, and be like, wait a minute, you know. I think he was black, but nobody, everybody knows who Langston Hughes is in the black community. Sure. Not everybody knew that he was gay, right? Yep. And so if those were discussions that were commonplace in our communities, in the broader community, it could, it would be, I think life would be different. The life of, of LGBT youth would be different. It wouldn't be so taboo. I agree with that. Um, okay, so you've taken, a, we've gone from today. Mm. Let's, let's talk history, right? <laughs> so today, um, called a historian on television, congratulations. <laughs> Thank so it's you. definitely official now, um, to when you were 16. What was it like for you growing up? Like, where do you think the seeds of this budding historian were planted? Because a lot of people went through that high school before you, yep. and they didn't see the need. Mm -hmm. um, I This is my first book on, uh, like, a compilation of gay history, so. I haven't seen one of those before. Right. So how did it become you being the person that's advocating for students just like yourself in school and then also writing this book? How did that start? Hmm. Um, I'd say uh, it, it started with it. It started with the, the Black Student Union and mm -hmm. all of that where um, I'm not sure how much I can say on TV. Oh, oh. But there was... Um, it was during the Rodney King, um, the, the, the trials for the, uh, for the police officers. And this sure. was in Ventura County. So the trial was not that far away. So um, racial tensions were at a fever pitch at this okay. time, which explains part of the people coming up and saying, we should have an Aryan student union. So a grown man at the end of the school day came on campus, found me out and punched me in the face and yelled Oh. Yes. Wow. So 17, you know, 
speaking with the NAACP, wow. speaking in front of the school board. You know, there were gang members in the town that were like, came up to me, they're like, you know, we can take him out. We know who he is. Everybody knew who he was because like there were hundreds of students at the end of the school day. I mean, it was like everybody was around and out yeah. when this happened. And um, I was like, no, that's not what I want. I just want to be able to learn my history right. for folks that want to learn black history to be able to learn it and to be able to hopefully spread knowledge so that the hate that this guy yes. had for me because of my skin color um, hopefully wouldn't, wouldn't continue for future generations. And so fast forward, you know, to being a member of the LGBT community and yeah. not being able to go and find um, any remnants of myself in the, you know, thousands of pages in the library. Yeah. You know, later on meeting Judy and Dennis Shepard um, oh. and um, thinking that, you know, they're living through the worst day of their life every single day for 21 years now. Yeah. Um, for me and my community, and I knew that I needed to do more. So. After meeting them, within two weeks, I met with the publisher. Two months, I started writing the book. Two years later, Target History in 50 States was born just in time for the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful yeah, so timing. So the timing all worked. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I mean, that catalyzing moment when you were 16, I think maybe put you down a different trajectory. If you can, um, what do you think you, what path do you think you would have been on mm -hmm. if uh, you hadn't met that resistance when you were 16. Because you're living, yeah. I mean, frankly, a wonderful life, or at least an award-winning author, <laughs> attorney, right? Um, I think a lot of times growth takes place in the mm -hmm. presence of opposition. Mm -hmm. not, not usually to right. that level, um, but there is some resistance. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it can certainly... Um, become a traumatic experience that they don't grow from, right. that, but that inhibits them or limits them in some way over the course of their life. And I don't see that in you. Uh, and so, well, you know, what was your plan before? Or, Well, I'm, I'm that weird kid when you're in uh, elementary school and they said, what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. I said either a chef or a Supreme Court justice. Oh, okay. So I love government. I loved how it works. And um, I have since decided that, you know, being Supreme Court justice probably isn't my path because I'm too much of an advocate. And so, you know, you saw RBG got in trouble by just saying, you know, he's, he's a faker. And so um, I just, I want to be out there um, pushing the envelope in regards to advocacy for any and all marginalized groups. Hmm. So um, if, if, you know, if that's your calling, then, you know, having to be a judge that can only um, speak through judicial opinions sure. um, wasn't necessarily something that I thought would be in my path. But who knows, I may end up a judge at some point. I but, hope that But being the Supreme Court judge is, is, is different. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I mean, it does seem like a lot of people can be a Supreme Court judge. So mm. don't. <laughs> that dream is not out of reach, true, I would say. True, true, true. I would say. Um, and that really brings me to, a, a little bit of what you were saying, brings me to um, the question of the title. Yes. On the book, Our Gay History of 50 States. And um, first off, I love the inclusion. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an inclusion inherent in the title, our shared gay history in these 50 mm -hmm. states. Um, did you like deliberate on this title for a long time or what, did it come to you immediately? No, the title was very hard. So there were two things that were very, that I, two threshold issues I knew I, that I had to address from the very beginning. The first was making sure that there were enough entries for every state, right? Oh, because, sure. you know, there are gay hubs. 
Chicago, New York, San Francisco, LA, Miami, you know, and I wanted, you know, again, queer kids, LGBT kids from every state to be able to find somebody. So that was the first thing. And so I, I got, I, I found a solution to that. Hmm. Credit people's accomplishments back to the state that they were born. Nobody has any control over any of that. Yeah. You're born where you're born, right? So you think of Ellen DeGeneres, you don't necessarily think of Louisiana, but that's where all of her accomplishments are get credited oh. back. So that was, that's been the big equalizer. But the other one was the title, right? Um, because this was, uh, I was writing this book at a time that, you know, the Q had just been added to more of the national organizations, um, sure. you know, uh, LGBTQ title. But this is still a history book. And so um, a lot of our, our, our national LGBT history, and, and actually it ends up being international because there's lots of, you know, Stonewall is a, is a name that's used in reference mm -hmm. to prides all around the world, mm -hmm. right? They look to what's happened here as, as, as a beacon of hope for many other countries. So at that time, it was the gay rights movement. Yeah. And it was an umbrella for all of us. And, um, and I wanted to pay homage to that as well, um, even though that has branched out and allowed for people to self-identify in ways that nobody would even ever have imagined hmm. back then. And so that was, that was the, uh, the thought process be, be around our gay history in 50 states. But in the author's notes, I specifically intentionally go through this because those are oh, always true, true. some of the threshold questions that people have in regards to the book and the title. We will um, talk a little bit about your use of the word gay uh -huh. and who, who does qualify as gay and when and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, but I also, just looking at the title in its entirety, I got to, I got to drink some coffee on it a little <laughs> bit and really like let it percolate. And when you mentioned that you uh, were wanting to be a judge and uh, in reference to you talking about possibly being a Supreme Court judge, um, this is almost like an act of patriotism in a way, to chronicle a history of the United States of America, which has not always been mm. friendly to people like ourselves. No. To intersect that with black history, um, my grandfather was in the Air Force at a time, um, fighting, for, fighting for his country, at a time when he would come home and not have the same rights yep. Yep. as the people he was fighting right next to. Um, that was an act of patriotism, obviously, um, more an act of force with regard to patriotism, but to uh, come from a place where people are still oppressed yeah. uh, and to write this book as I feel like a lot of love in these pages, you know, particularly for me, because I, I know, I do feel like you wrote it to me. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> and I, did it feel patriotic to you when you were writing it? Um, to a certain extent, I mean, I, 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 I love our country. Yeah, I love her uh, for you know her her greatness, and and her 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 faults. Right, that there's always opportunities for us to grow, and and it's up to us, mm -hmm. involved in individuals that live here in the country, involved citizens to to push and make that happen, and um, yeah. you know looking through our history and seeing folks living through times that were more challenging than the ones that we're living through, uh, struggle and persevere and make it happen. Um, and in, in places where they may have been the only LGBT person in the entire state. Yeah. Right? Where there wasn't an internet. Like, we grew up in a time that there wasn't any internet. Yes. <laughs> yes, I am included. Yes. You know? <laughs> um, no one out our ages and everything. But... It's public. For me. <laughs> true, true. But, um, but yeah, to be able to give back is really what it is. And so, you know, when I'm long gone, there'll be thousands of these books milling around. Mm -hmm. And um, that's kind of interesting and amazing to think about. There is... 
he said, I, you know, I love America for all of its faults. And that, for some reason, in these charged times, almost seems like a controversial statement. And it shouldn't. It shouldn't. I am also uh, deeply patriotic. I also love America. Um, and, you know, I ran for office. Mm -hmm. And um, coming back to inclusion, my campaign slogan at the time mm -hmm. was, Change you can see in 63 uh, Stop it. Button. <laughs> <laughs> Campaign button. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's so sweet. <laughs> I yeah. pressed that by hand. Good. Yeah. I'm going I'm to keep this because I know you're going to run again. I, okay, yes. We are yes. going to run again. We, we, we are going to run again. I had run before as well, so we'll, <laughs> we're going to be making that change necessary. I would just want to let me finish that line. We'll come to that. My... It, the slogan at the time was change you can see in 63B. And in hindsight, I wish it had been change we can see in 63B because that's more inclusive mm. and there's so much power in inclusion. And to pivot to having to run again, <laughs> I was telling someone just today that once you get started in doing the work to make change and to make the world a better place, despite the resistance yeah. that you may, might encounter, you feel like a responsibility or a compulsion, at least on my part, to continue. Right. You know, that's how I went from a neighborhood association chair to running for office to Bottomless Coffee podcast to Bottomless Coffee with Jerome, you know, where we can talk about these issues and really elevate people who are doing the right things mm -hmm. for everybody, mm -hmm. who are really uh, rising the tide, literally rising the tide are all us boats over Absolutely. here. No, it reminds me of, you know, my path to getting to running for office too. It was um, attending a community meeting hmm. where I was able to host a table talking about HB2, the transgender bill in North Carolina, yeah. and meeting a family that had a transgender kid and, and their struggles in the school system in St. Louis Park and saying, I have a skill set to advocate. Why don't I use these lawyering skills to advocate for them? And we've worked to get a gender inclusion policy passed. First one in the city, first suburb in the state of Minnesota. Oh, wonderful. Um, and then running for office there. So, you know, you, 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 you find ways to get involved. You find your skill set that you have. You find things that you're passionate about and then you move forward with it. And it's, you know, again, regardless of whether you win or lose, you're still involved and you still impact change, right? Yeah. Um, and that's really what it's all about. So with regard even still on the title, and the word gay, you alluded to this before, uh -huh. um, our is very inclusive right from the jump, mm -hmm. but some explanation was required for your use of just the word gay. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know, knowing you, that you are including everyone mm -hmm. um, in your mindset. And that, you know, it's a punchier title. <laughs> there's that <laughs> there's the marketability aspect of it yeah. no but i appreciate the question because it, this is an important part because part of the author's notes is also my intentional use of the word queer throughout the entire book mm. right because there is a generational divide within the community as it relates to the term using the term gay as an umbrella term and using of the term queer as an umbrella term and you know, uh, it's 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 a divide that's going to take some time to get over. Mm -hmm. I was just having a discussion with you know one of the senior members of our community last night, oh. particularly about not necessarily even using of, of the term queer, but the additional letters, right? Hmm. And so one of the questions I posed to him was, if you were a trans woman of color, you know, uh, trans, yep, so you had transitioned, and yet and you weren't gay, 
you know, you like men, you transition, mm -hmm. sexual identity, sexual orientation, gender identity, two different things. How would you feel about, you know, the term gay being forced upon you and not being able to self-identify? Yeah. And it gave, it gave him pause and a lot to think about. And he would, didn't normally come back with his little quick retorts like he normally does. Okay. And, and so, you know, the, the, the follow-up with that was it's, it's really hard when others get to decide what you're called and who you are. And being a black person in this country, we've had yeah. lots of labels bestowed upon us as opposed to labels that we're able to claim on our own. And for some folks that have never been in a situation based on their, their inherent identities, to never have, have had to worry about that challenge, mm. I think puts people in a different perspective. So it's trying to walk in people's, other people's shoes to be able to understand that difference. Uh, speaking of other people's shoes and the use of that word gay, I have to say, well, obviously, I support it. Mm -hmm. you, know, you wouldn't be here if I didn't support <laughs> it. Um, and, you know, you are a gay man. You are not a lesbian. You do not identify as trans. Mm -hmm. And so for you to write the, a book, if you said our trans history of 50 states, uh, you, you know, mm -hmm. I feel nope. <laughs> as though um, it would have felt disingenuous. And I feel as though uh, you would have received, you know, you, You'd have been canceled, even. Probably. <laughs> probably. Certainly probably not published. Um, and so I think it makes a lot of sense for you to write this book. But I hope that there are people out there, uh, lesbians, transgender mm -hmm. people, and other members of our community who are willing to do the work to dig into uh, the history that really speaks to them and that they want to make sure gets elevated. Absolutely. And one of the things that was important for me for this book, um, compared to some of the other LGBT history books um, that I that researched, making sure that there wasn't already a book like this out there, mm. was to ensure this one was as inclusive as possible. Right. So I wanted to make sure that there were um, members of marginalized groups within the LGBTQ umbrella. Right. That aren't normally um, that normally don't have their stories uplifted to have those uplifted. So trans men, um, Asian and Pacific Islanders. Um, people with disabilities. I mean, these are folks that are invisible from the broader community and sometimes invisible even within our own community. Uh, asexual individuals, intersex. Mm. There's so many folks within our community that have no idea what the I means in LGBTQIA, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I wanted this book to be, anybody who picked up this book, to be able to find at least one person in there that they could personally identify with, whether it be immigrants that have moved here from different countries, right? All of those types of things. That's what makes America that's what makes America, America. I think that's part of what makes us great from that perspective. I hear, hear. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, I will vote for you. Um, on that same note for uh, our straight allies, mm -hmm. I think, um, and I'm positing here, I feel like if I were a straight man or woman and I looked through this book, I would see my friends mm -hmm. and my neighbors or my representative or whomever in these pages as well. And I would wanna say, oh, it's, it's nice to know more about a person from their history. Yeah. Um, you learn more about them that way, I think. And you know, who, who's to say that they even know everything that there is in this book? It's a heavy book. It's heavy, <laughs> it's heavy. <laughs> Approved for uh, approved as a textbook in the state of Illinois for the teaching of LGBT history. We have we have really? six states now that require the teaching of LGBT history in schools, and Illinois was the first one to pick mine up and say yes, textbook status. Oh, that's beautiful! Yeah. Congratulations Thank to you. you and to the children of Illinois. I know, I know. Yes. Um, but 
exactly exactly what you said. Um, you know, most gay folks come from straight families. Yeah. And so um, it's it's important for this. This isn't just an important book for us. Mm -hmm. um, you know what? One of my thought processes was that you know if somebody comes out to them, I want them to think of this book and get it to them. Yes. Right. Or parent has a kid that comes out to be like, you know, this is part of your community that you're yes. that you're joining. And I want to be there with you and support you throughout that process and that journey. That's what I want to have happen in regards to this. Oh, that's fantastic. So, okay, we have to go to a coffee break in just a minute, but let me ask you, if yes. I am that mother or that grandchild or that friend, and I want to get them this book, mm -hmm. how do I do that? Well, I recommend the ideal place would be to go to gay50states.com. So gay50states.com. And purchasing it directly through us means that you get to choose which LGBT nonprofit gets 10% of the book's proceeds. And so you can only do that if you get that directly through us. Uh, so that's why we recommend that you do that because you can support independent authors, uh, you know, that you know, wouldn't marginalize groups that normally wouldn't necessarily uh, be the first person or the first people going forward in regards to writing these types of books and support your local LGBT nonprofits as well. And, oh, and if you're part of that LGBT nonprofit and you're not listed on our website, reach out to us, we'll get you listed. Oh, that's fantastic. You are doing even more work than I knew that you were doing. And there's even more work after that, but I guess that's after the commercial break. Okay. <laughs> okay. Coffee break. We will have a coffee break. We'll come right back, and then we will actually open the book and see what's inside. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. So here's a quick note. In an episode that talks so candidly about LGBTQ plus history, black history, and, you know, actual hate crimes, it would be really irresponsible of me to let this episode air without also mentioning the disparate impact that COVID-19 is having on, specifically, my Black and LGBTQ communities. It's bad out there, y'all. So if you have not yet done so, please get up to date on your COVID vaccine and wear a mask when you're around a lot of people. And if for whatever reason you have decided not to get vaccinated, Please do the responsible thing and stay home when you're sick and wear a mask when you're in public. Thank you. Hey everybody, it's Jerome. One of the best parts about Bottomless Coffee is that you are an active participant in the conversations. Please go to patreon.com slash bottomlesscoffee to learn more about how you can engage with me directly impact our set design, and even suggest guests. Once again, that's patreon.com slash bottomlesscoffee, or just go to our website, bottomlesscoffeeshow.com, and click on Patreon. Thank you. We are back from our coffee break with author of Our Gay History in 50 States and founder of Zalor and Associates, Zalor Stout. And uh, for this segment, what I want to do is really get into the book and look at the different places that you identified. Because it's not, you didn't create like a timeline and just plot different things no. along the way. Um, you separated it by state. Yes, state by state, and each state is broken down by people, places, and queer facts. Okay, now I grew up in Georgia. Okay. Um, Midtown Atlanta. Nice. And uh, let's say I was not making the type of history during those times that would end up in the book. <laughs> so I was 
uh, really relieved to find that my name did not appear oh, in here. <laughs> <laughs> but there was someone named uh, Leonard Maklovich. Can you tell us just a little bit about Leonard and how Leonard made it into the book? Absolutely. He was in the Air Force. So he was a sergeant in the Air Force. And he was the first military service person to disclose that he was a homosexual. Oh. And so, um, you know, his story is so interesting in regards to, um, you know, how he was able to fight to stay in the service. And it was really, really interesting story. And one of the great things that I, I, I tried to come up with when writing the book was, I don't want to give you everything in here. Oh, I sure. wanted, I wanted yeah. to give you enough you know, to wet your palate and you go on your phone and you Google them and then you look up everything and you get to read up on, you know, all the details in regards to their lives. So this was just the intro for you to them. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, so that was Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, we are currently in Minnesota. Ah, uh, Minnesota. Yes. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of gay history in Minnesota. There's so much. I was so surprised. And it was... It was one of the last states that I finished because I was the oh, most really? nervous about Minnesota as opposed to like my my original home state of California. Because they, they know where you are. In yeah, Minnesota. Well, yeah, they, I know. they know where I live right over <laughs> They're here. They're like, so uh, you wrote a book. And, <laughs> you know, I did a couple of things. True. <laughs> well, one thing that really caught my eye was that in Minnesota, we had the first city to pass a transgender non-discrimination ordinance. And what tripped me up is that this was 1975? 1975, so the first city in the country. So you would have thought it would have been a New York, a Los Angeles. Yeah. Nope, right here in the heartland of America, right here in the Midwest. And see, that's one I would definitely want to go back and do the Wikipedia and look it up or what have you, because you know that's living history. Some of the people who yes. advocated for that ordinance would, could still be alive and yep. in that same city. Yep. First one to include not only sexual orientation, but gender identity, which was really, you know, wow. um, different and unique at the time, you know, uh, back in 1975, before our time. Bef yes. yes. <laughs> <Barely>. <laughs> A reference where I don't feel old. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, one of the ones that I love uh, about oh, yeah, Minnesota please. is um, that the first international two-spirit gathering happened here. So sometimes folks will see the much longer LGBT acronym, you know, mm -hmm. 20 characters long, and there's a number two in there, a 2S. So that represents the two-spirit community, which is um, from our Native American siblings. Yeah. And the, the LGBT doesn't, doesn't relate, doesn't translate, doesn't resonate with their lived experience, especially since, um, you know, for individuals that are Native, that they've revered members of their community uh, that had been two-spirit well before the founding of this country and yeah. it was it was it was colonialism that changed it for them in regards to bestowing religious beliefs on the on the native cultures and so uh, they went from being revered to being outcasts and still working to, to regain their their status within their own community based on their history so that's one of the reasons why i love that one yeah um is that i mean we have so many so many native tribes here and um you know i want to be able to uplift that and and Educate folks in regards to, so that's what the two S means in the longer acronym. I am being educated right now in this moment. I have to confess to some ignorance as to the intersection of uh, our indigenous neighbors 
and the LGBTQIA plus SS members of the community, yeah. right? And so um, I feel as though this one, is this also one where you could just Google it and oh. learn more? Yeah, and there's folks that are still alive here. I mean, Richard LaFortune is, is right here, lives in, lives in North Minneapolis, and he was able to take me over to, um, you know, our archives, our LGBT archives here, the Treader Collection, where oh. he had, you know, 20, 30 boxes of books and boxes of, of historical references and archives in yeah. regards to all of his work in regards to that and, and go through that to be able to include some of that in the book. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, yeah. so even now, having already gone through the book before, right, <laughs> I'm still like, oh my gosh, there's so much sin. to be inspired by. <laughs> and then um, I want to turn to California. California. Because I think a lot of people, when they think about um, the gay community, a lot of that is informed by celebrities, yes. um, living or dead. And uh, I did notice you devoted a lot of attention to California. It's a big state. <laughs> That's fair. It's a big state. <laughs> and even though it's the largest state represented here, but then you go by population-wise, it makes sense from That's that perspective true. as well. Um, there was still so many people that were left out. Like mm. There was just like, just there could be a book separately on that. Um, and so it was, you know, that was part of the hard part for some of the larger states is figuring out and deciding who's going to, who's going to make the cut. And so, you know, there are friends of mine, people that i actually know yeah. personally and from different states that were kind of sad that they weren't in the book. And I was like, but this is, it's not a vanity project, Yeah. you know, and, and for some of them, their story's already been told. Mm. So, so why include them and share their story when there's a, somebody else's story that could touch somebody, um, could, could be excluded you know, for that purpose. Well, let's dig into that mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, who, in your mind, like what's historic? How did you decide, um, aside from mm -hmm. whether or not their story's already been told, I don't know who these friends are, they could be incredibly famous, but aside from those people, um, when you were going through really our entire rich mm -hmm. history and like yeah. figuring out who would actually fit on the page, um, what are some of the things that you looked for? No, it's a great question. Um, you know, f folks, I'd say that the, the things that touched me the most were ordinary folks in ordinary situations that did things that were historic and they didn't necessarily know that it was. Hmm. So um, if my memory serves me correct, is uh, North Dakota, it's either okay. North or South Dakota. First gay couple to go to a prom was in the 70s. Oh. And you wouldn't think middle America. And so track down, you know, the newspaper clippings and the principal was interviewed and the principal was like, they're gay people. So what? Get over it. In the 70s. Wow. Right. And so it's those types of situations because I think about how important prom is as a mm -hmm. rite of passage mm -hmm. and how many generations of LGBT folks weren't able to attend prom or weren't able to go with the person they really wanted to go with. Yeah. And now, you know, I just saw an article yesterday when I was looking up, um, you know, articles for my Facebook Live that I do on Thursdays, um, where there was a high school that just elected their first um, um, male, either, it was, either they were male or non-binary uh, prom king or queen. Sure. Right? And it's like, you know, there was, there was a transition moment yeah. that most folks don't necessarily know about. And to know about the first and where that first happened, I think is important for us. And so that's really what I was looking for too, because there were there are lots of politicians that are in the book. Yeah. There are a lot of celebrity folks that are in the book. But I was really wanted to make sure that I uplifted those other stories 
um, you know, there was a um, an Asian American woman that was born in a in a uh, an internment camp during World War II here in the United States. She mm. ended up ser serving in the military um, and becoming an attorney. Extraordinary, right? Yeah. Where it's like you were born in 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 a situation where our our government wasn't honoring who you were and what your and and what your family was bringing um, to the table here and treated you in a in a way that was severely and, and significantly disparaging and yet you then go later on in life to be to serve in the military for that same country it's those stories that really got me and that's something um that i definitely noticed as i was going through the book but couldn't quite articulate until hopefully this moment we'll mm -hmm. see how it comes out um there are many points of history in this book but they are not points of trivia mm -hmm. you did not trivialize any of the stories, um, any of the historic moments in this book. And I really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that keeps me coming back again and again and again to see what else there is to learn. Because I've had this book for like a little while now mm -hmm. and it continues to teach and it continues to educate me. Just like it educated me a few minutes ago. On, <laughs> two spirit. Oh, two snap. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, that was, that was part of the goal, you know? Mm -hmm. um, to be able to show and uplift, you know, the miraculous moments that are, you know, our, our, our first LGBT person in space, our first astronaut, Sally Ride. Yeah. yeah. Right. I remember learning about her. Yeah. But not knowing that she was LGBT yeah, told me until that. I was writing, until I was researching and writing this book, you know, Angela Davis, mm -hmm. Black Panther. Mm -hmm. I remember when I posted online on the book's Facebook page that Angela Davis was part of the LGBT community. You wouldn't believe the people oh. that came out of the woodwork saying that I was lying and this and that and the other. Wow. Z has receipts. <laughs> well, I do want to talk about your research because, you know, like you're talking about newspaper clippings and the like. What was your process like as much as you're willing mm -hmm. to share? Like, how did you find out? this information about Angela Davis. How mm -hmm. did you find out about um, the couple mm -hmm. in the Dakotas that yeah. went to prom? Because that seems like information you'd have to intentionally be looking for, yeah. but that can't be the way you approached it. Correct, correct. Uh, well, I actually hired an army of queer youth to help oh, me do the research. No so way. I really wanted this to be a community <laughs> effort. And so they're thanked in the back for their research. So they can, when they go on to college, they can put, I helped, you know, do research for oh, this beautiful. amazing book. I really wanted it to be interactive and, and for it to, for it to be a, a collective effort from the community. Um, but thankfully, virtually every state has an LGBT archive. So where, what a better, what better place to go than to a state that has a reason to look into, dig in, archive, and save their own LGBT history. Yeah. So that's, that was a really great help and resource. But there was still the need to go back and do more digging because for me, looking at it from a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens, wanting to make sure that this was as diverse as possible, especially as the communities oh, that we know, yeah. um, because there are a lot of books out there that don't have folks like us in it. Yeah. and don't uplift those stories and i didn't want this to be that book and so there were times you know i remember uh a researcher came back with montana hmm. and i'm looking through and i'm like where are the lesbians i'm like has there been no lesbians that have done anything in the course of this state's history right. of note and sent them back to do to do some more research they didn't find anything so then i went oh, back and of course i was able to find something right because i i didn't want that to be an issue yeah. Um, I wanted people to be able to look and be in, in every state. Now, there's certain states that were a lot more challenging than others from a diverse 
an, a diversity perspective. But on the overall, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I covered all those bases, or at least try. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm really happy that you your approach was so serious and intentional with regard to the book, because you hear a lot about erasure. Mm -hmm. And when you are putting the word history on your book, <laughs> and if you unintentionally exclude mm -hmm. people, um, you are, uh, in a way, erasing them from history mm -hmm. because their story would still be told because you went yeah. from records. Yeah. But uh, you would be um, ex excluding by omission, mm -hmm. I would say. And so I'm really, I really appreciate your intentionality there. And I wonder how far back were you able to go? Like, what were the limits to your research? Because surely, you know, was it 1492 <laughs> when Columbus uh, sailed the ocean blue? Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I imagine you weren't looking through the ship's logs for no. personal journey, personal diaries or something. Like, Correct. what? How far back were you able to go? And what were the limits to your research? Well, the, 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 some of the entries that go the furthest back would be members of the Two-Spirit community, right? Because the native, the native populations were here well before everybody else mm -hmm. and well before our ancestors were brought here. Um, and so, you know, then the rest really, um, you know, at the founding of the country, I mean, there were members of the LGBT community that were in the Revolutionary War. You're able to find bits and pieces as it relates to that. But here's the challenge, though. I mean, the further back you go, you know, it's... It, you know, it's it's only really been a recent occurrence that folks have been able to be out and open in regards yes. to who it is that they are. So some of the entries are based off of, you know, diaries that they left hmm. and people, you know, discovered that they were trans after their diaries or that they were women or that they were this or that they were that or that they were gay. Um, and so, you know, some of those came into play in regards to finding some of the, the older records and references in regards to members of our community. That's fascinating. I feel like we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours. Um, I have a question. Mm -hmm. And looking back over our history, because you are certainly at this point, um, I think one of the most uh, qualified people to respond to this question. Okay. When you look over the entirety of our history as you were able to compile mm -hmm. it, uh, what is missing? Like, what have we not done uh, that maybe we should have done by now, that mm -hmm. should have been in here? Were there any big omissions? And kind of in the way that you were, you were like, are there no lesbians in Montana? <laughs> <laughs> that, was a real, that was a real conversation. <laughs> do better. <laughs> I was nice, but I was like, do better. Like, yeah. I can't be the only one that could look at these entries and see that there are no lesbians. Um, you know, it, Again, I think that's part of the sad part is that so many of us throughout our history weren't able to live our truth. Mm. And so there were likely so many more people, um, especially some of the, the older entries that could have been in this book, um, you know, had they been able to live their true and authentic lives. Yeah. And so that's always going to be unfortunately part of our history that we're never going to be able to get back, that we're never just going to be able to know. And, and, and that's one of the differences between this book and like a black history book, you know, because you're black, you're black, you're black, mm -hmm. right? Um, whereas this is one where folks have to be able to self-identify and be able to let others know. And, mm -hmm. and, and so there's, there's, there's a certain amount of history that's always gonna be lost. Regarding history and regarding having to let people know, um, 
that's one thing that stuck with me in this book. It's rare, at least I think it's rare, mm -hmm. that your coming out story, your experience and discovering yourself and telling the world who you mm -hmm. are is a, an historic moment. Mm -hmm even though it is so incredibly important and defining to who you are as a person. Right. And uh, how were you able to kind of square what to some people would have been of like utmost importance, right? You know, it's <laughs> like, if you're gonna tell my story, you have to include mm -hmm. that I was kicked out of the house or uh, that I was, you know, locked in my room. That happens with conversion therapy yeah. a lot. Um, did you encounter anything like that, that tension uh, when you were going through the book? Um, not necessarily. I mean, the, 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 challenge, the, the challenge with the book was space, okay. right? Was, you know, there's only so much space and how do we divvy it up and make sure that e each state has its, its, its due share of history and contained in this book? And, and that the entries are, are, are full and give a, a full richness of the person's life, hmm. enough to be able to entice folks to want to look into and research them more. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, work, I, I, work, I know, right? <laughs> but, I work my, with the, but that was a great thing with working with my editors. I mean, my editors, my, my publisher, Wise Inc. Creative Publishing, they were, they were amazing and great. When I met with Dara Beavis, she said, you have to, you have to write this book. Oh. And so um, she knew that it was going to be a labor of love, and it was. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank my partner for oh, doing yeah. the snow removal for two winters <laughs> in a row. He did all of it so I could stay inside and do the research. That's important. Always thank the partners. Always, Always thank, thank the partners. Partner. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, when it came to the entries and stuff, it was really trying to make sure that it was um, that it gave folks enough to be able to get a sense of who they were and what their life was about. And why they're here and why they're included in this book. Well, on that note, I do want to go into another coffee break. Um, I will say, though, uh, not even as a point of trivia, I did not see first black gay talk show host anywhere in the book. I don't know if there's a volume two, mm. but I wanted to uh, just, you know, plant that little seed there. Just in case. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I mean. One of the great things with this book too is that you know people have been have people have stayed engaged with it even after the book's been out. Yeah. And so what I love is people send me newspaper articles. This is new. This is coming up. This is history today. Oh, interesting. Or how about this person and how about that person? And so there are some folks that I would love to have been included originally and somehow just missed. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, oh, how could I have missed them? So there's space. There's, There's space, space at the end of some of these states. So. There's interest for more papers. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, true. So there will be updates coming out. Absolutely. Awesome. Let's take a coffee break and we'll be right back. Thank you. Hey there. Now, more than ever, we need programs like Bottomless Coffee that work to bring us together instead of driving us further and further apart. If you support our mission of bringing people together, then we ask that you also support our programming through a financial contribution. Details on how you can support our work through a one-time donation are available at bottomlesscoffeeshow.com. Thank you. We are back with Zaylor Stout, award-winning author of Our Gay History in 50 States, 
and founder of Zaylor Stout and Associates. This has been an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, I want to ask you before you go, you mentioned earlier about how proceeds from the sale of the book mm -hmm. benefit um, certain nonprofits. Can you speak to that just a little bit more? Yes. So on our website, we have participating charities, and they can go there and look and see which uh, charities. So there's some national charities, there's some state local charities, and so they can put in that promo code when they go to purchase the book, and 10% of the book's proceeds will go to that particular charity. And if there's individuals that work for those charities and they, you know, they want to do an email campaign or something to that effect, we can make that work and they okay. get 20% if it's something that they're put direct, put directly putting out towards their supporters and donors. So. Oh, see, that's wonderful. I need to take some notes from you because I want this show to mm -hmm. also benefit um, certain nonprofits, mm -hmm. but I'd like for the guests to decide the nonprofit that is supported. I love that. Oh, well, good. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the nonprofit that you have chosen. I've selected Reclaim. Uh, Reclaim provides mental health services to transgender and gender non-binary youth, regardless of their ability to pay. And so it's actually the first organization that I served as a board member on. Um, every year they have an event called Celebrate the Love. It's oh. around Valentine's Day. Huge event. If you ever go, you're going to cry your eyes out because it's LGBT kids, transgender, non-binary kids telling their stories, and and you know it's it's hard not to feel touched in regards to that and want to be able to help any way that you can. Oh, that's fantastic! I will I will look for that. Yes. Yes. Well, Sailor, what's next for you? Well, I'm already starting on the next book. Oh, you know, there's you are all, starting there's on the next book. There's already a next book in the works. Okay. Our, our Black History in 50 States. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there's going to be a series. I'm like, there's a chance. You're telling me there's a chance, Zaylor. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about this one um, as well. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, there's so many intersectional aspects, aspects of our mm -hmm. identities. Um, it's hard to say yes to one and not and no to something else. Um, but then there, there will likely be other books in the series where it's not necessarily an identity that I, that I personally have. And so I will have co-authors to be able to assist in regards to that but there's additional stories that need to be out there. And if nobody else is going to do it, then I'm going to be there and I'm going to put my money That's where my vibe. mouth is. That is the vibe. <laughs> if people want to follow you and keep up with you and maybe even support the work yes. that you're doing, um, what is the best way to either get information or to get in contact with you? Yep, so through our website, gay50states, gay50states.com uh, is the best way from that perspective. We're on social media. It's the same everywhere. Gay Five Zero States on Twitter, on Link, on Facebook, uh, and on Instagram. Um, Zaylor Stout on LinkedIn as well. Uh, yeah, and there's there's always ways to to help. You know, there's ways to volunteer. Corporations can can sponsor the book for their state. Uh, we have fiscal sponsors so that that would be tax deductible for them, and the books will get donated to LGBT nonprofits specifically working with their states. So for Minnesota, Best Buy was the first one to jump on board in regards to that. Oh. So. Look 75 books got donated in, in, in their name to LGBT nonprofits, and we, we got to be able to make it happen. Oh, Best Buy didn't even have to pay for that one. <laughs> for them. <laughs> Thank you so much, Zaylor. This has been fantastic. A great, great, great conversation. I appreciate it. Absolutely, and thank you for, for allowing me to be one of your hosts on one of your first shows. Oh, Yes, but yes. yes. <laughs> what did I say? You said host, but I'm just no. kidding. No, <laughs> no, no. I'll leave the hosting to you. Thank you. <laughs> not like I'm, not, I'm leaving it to you. You're already good at it, so.
<laughs> You're fantastic. We'll Thanks. talk soon. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Woo! We did an episode! Hi all! Thank you for watching this first episode of Bottomless Coffee with Jerome. We've got a great season of guests lined up, and I'm excited to share some amazing conversations with you all. And I'm not the only one that's excited. In fact, when I first announced that Bottomless Coffee podcast was going to become a TV show, one friend leapt into action. She reached out to McCraven Moore Crafts and purchased one, two, 35 bottomless coffee mugs. 35. Now, I drink a lot of coffee, but I don't need 35 mugs. So this seems like a great opportunity for a giveaway. As I mentioned in an earlier coffee break, Bottomless Coffee Podcast and Bottomless Coffee with Jerome are brought to you through a service called Patreon. Through Patreon, people who really like our content can pledge a monthly amount to support our work and our mission. And to be honest with you, we need it. When I first started the podcast, I had no idea how expensive it would be. Recording equipment, video editing equipment, it adds up really quickly. And now we're throwing sets and studio rental in the mix. And let's just say that we could really use your support. So. We are giving away Bottomless Coffee mugs to the first 35 new Patreon subscribers. If you subscribe to our Patreon at any level, then I will be shipping you a mug. Just go to patreon.com slash bottomlesscoffee. Now, terms and conditions will apply because as you know, people like to scam, but if you are a legit Bottomless Coffee supporter, then I will be sending you a mug. Now I know some of you are really excited about this and some of you are like, eh, I don't really want to subscribe to anything and that's okay. I've got something for you too. You can just go to bottomlesscoffeeshow.com and click on shop to buy a mug. Finally, 
there is also an option to just support our work directly. You can go to bottomlesscoffeeshow.com and click on support to make a one-time monetary contribution. Thank you to everyone who signs up on Patreon. Thank you to everyone who buys a mug. Thank you for watching our first episode. And thank you to my friend from high school for buying 35 mugs and to McRaven More Crafts for doing such a good job manufacturing them and shipping them here with such great care. Thank you. Here's a sneak peek of the next episode of Bottomless Coffee with Jerome. Today we're talking with Trina Olson and Alfonso Winker, co-founders of Team Dynamics, hosts of the podcast Behave, and authors of the book Hiring Revolution. The book is for sale now at hiringrevolutionbook.com as well as on Audible. So, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you, it's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited. And uh, a revolution, you say. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm interested because I feel as though uh, our current system has been working, in quotes, for a while now. And I don't know, the word revolution seems a little strong. Yeah. Um, why? Yeah. So the system's working as it was designed, right? Folks are getting hired. Yeah. And what we talk about in Hiring Revolution is the reality that who predominantly gets hired, promoted, paid more, given more leadership opportunities in the American workplace are folks who benefit from whiteness and from masculinity. Hmm. And so, yeah, the system works as it currently is constructed for white men to get leadership jobs, executive jobs, director level jobs. C-suite level jobs, mm -hmm. right? So sure, folks are getting hired, but when we look at the available workforce in the US, the folks who are getting hired don't represent available workforce. So there's a big gap in who's available. And the system is antiquated. The system mm. needs to be revolutionized. We have to stop almost everything we think is best practice in hiring and start doing everything almost completely differently. Okay, okay, so what are one or two best practices. Well, what are one or two things that we are considering best practices now that maybe we should rethink? Yeah. So let's just call them old best practices okay. <laughs> and best for some people practices. Okay. So one of the things that drives us bananas is when we go to support a client on a search, how many rounds of interviews and conversations mm. they force people to go through. Mm -hmm. Right? So it is really a lack of understanding of the modern workforce and that if you're out looking for a gig, it's likely that you currently have one and you're looking for multiple places to potentially land, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's like we're treating applicants like A, they've got all the time in the world, B, like we don't have our crap together so we're gonna just keep asking the same questions and be really redundant, mm. which turns into more like pageantry and gotcha moments than like, would you be good at this job? Okay. Yep. So, not, so don't do multiple rounds of interviews. How many rounds of interviews would you suggest? Depending on the role, as many as you need to know what these people have to offer. And so when we sort of posit a revolution, we know it can sound like a lot of work. Sure. The reality is, if you start to make this your new standard, 
hiring will go so much faster. It'll actually be more efficient, it'll be more streamlined, and there isn't a magical number of sort of interviews, there isn't a magical length of application, mm. because it should be role specific, not sort of set it and forget it boilerplate. Yeah, one of the things that we talk a lot about in the book is that the current practice is to just replicate whatever we did last time. Yeah. regardless of if we're hiring for the same exact role or a completely different role. So we just say, here's our template. We write the jobs.